I thought I would begin this morning uh, with some dumb things that I have said in the past. Okay. I figured that's a crowd pleaser, right? Uh, so here's some, some dumb things. I'm limiting this to just a few, Robbie. Some dumb things I have said in the past. First one is, oh, come on, honey. What's the worst that could happen? That's applicable in lots of contexts, by the way. All right, second one. Came home one day and said, so Rachel, what did you even do all day? That didn't, I, was, I told you it was dumb. I know, I know, I know, I know. I uh, also said before, I think that joke's totally appropriate to tell from the pulpit. Another thing I said that wasn't quite my brightest is, sure kids, we can try watching Barney. I'm still regretting that one. One time I said the phrase, it's 2007. It's a great time to buy a house. And then most recently, I said, with that kind of a lead, there's no way the Falcons can lose the Super Bowl. Too soon? Too soon. Okay, sorry. Uh, I could go on, uh, but I think I've made my point. Uh, Most of us have done things, have said things that were not the brightest things to do or say, okay? Most of us have moments in our lives we would look back on and say, that was dumb. All right, but I think out of all the dumb things I've ever done in my life, I don't think I've ever done anything quite as dumb as what Esau did. Okay, notice our text this morning. This is Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. He says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Okay, what was the dumb thing Esau did? You remember that story from the Old Testament? You remember that from when you were a kid in VBS? Okay, Esau was out hunting one day, uh, and at this time he was the oldest son of Isaac. And as the oldest son, he had certain inheritance rights. Most importantly, as the oldest son, he was supposed to be the next one in line for the covenant. Okay, the order should go Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Right, But he doesn't get it because when he was hunting, he came back home one day. He was extremely hungry, and there was his little brother making a stew. He was so hungry that he sold off his birthright for a single meal. Okay? I don't care how you read that story, that's dumb. Okay? I think the, the award for the dumbest man in Scripture either goes to Esau, or maybe I can make a good case for Samson. Okay, neither man was thinking with his head, right? Okay, so why is Esau so dumb that he would give up so much for a single meal? Okay, and here's the point, here's the entire reason I think that the book of Hebrews is using this illustration. Here's what he wants us to get more than anything else. Okay, and that is Esau chose momentary pleasure over virtue and he suffered the consequences for it. I think the entire reason the book of Hebrews is written is because he is trying to get followers of Jesus to choose Jesus over momentary pleasures. 
Okay, all of those things in this world. Because what happens every time we choose the world over Jesus, we suffer consequences. Okay, we've been in the book of Hebrews for several weeks now. Um, here's his, his basic train of thought. We've gone through these steps of discipleship. What do we learn from Hebrews about how to follow Jesus? Okay, and he starts by saying we have to listen to God. Okay, and you notice if you're taking notes on your bulletin, I gave you spaces to write these down. We're finishing our list this morning. Uh, so if you wanted to, to take these with you, this is the complete, the authoritative list according to me. All right, first thing we have to do if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to listen to God. Okay, the second thing we have to do is we have to beware of drifting. It's all too easy for us to look up one day, realize that we are further from God than we ever thought possible. We need to be intentional in our walk with Jesus. Okay, he also tells us we need to know the rewards of faith. Okay, we're going somewhere. We're going to Zion, right? There's, there's a reward for following Jesus. Okay, next he tells us we must experience the better covenant. Okay, we have a better high priest at a better tabernacle offering a better sacrifice. All right, and then what we talked about last week, we have to endure suffering. There will be people in the world who will not like it that we are followers of Jesus. If we are taking our Christianity seriously, we will face opposition. Are we willing to do that to follow Jesus? Okay, and then finally, his last point. He tells us if we're going to be disciples, we must cultivate virtue. Right, in the passage we just read in chapter 12, Hebrews says, If we want to see God, we must be holy. Then he proceeds to list certain virtues that we must have. He says you have to be people of grace, people of peace. Okay, then if you flip the page, go to chapter 13. You see the very last teaching section in Hebrews. Again, he tells us, put on holiness. Be a virtuous people. If you want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, you have to act like Jesus. What marked Jesus? He was a man of deep virtue. Okay, notice the last section of this book. Start in verse 1 of chapter 13. He says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I think the final step of discipleship, if we want to claim to be followers of Jesus, we have to put on virtue. Again, remember the, the spiritual uh, growth chart that we showed several weeks ago, right? We start off on fire for Jesus. What tends to happen is over time we start coasting, and then if we're not careful and intentional, we will eventually fall off in our faith. We will experience a decline, and then we will look up and say, what happened to my relationship with God? If we want to avoid that, if we want to keep growing, we need to be virtuous. We need to show hospitality. We need to practice purity. We need to avoid greed and violence like the world. Instead, we need to be godly. We need to be holy. 
If you only hear me say one thing this morning, my only point today is we need to be people of virtue. All right, now I've shown you uh, some of what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time this morning before. I think we talked about a few of these steps when we did our sermon series on the seven deadly sins, if you remember that from from several months ago. So some of this should be familiar, but we're going to add to it this morning uh, based on what we see here in Hebrews 12 and 13. Okay, and here's what it is. It's the reasons why we choose the right thing. Because again, this is what virtue is. To be a virtuous person means that you choose what is right. You make moral choices. Virtue is simply doing the right thing. Okay, we could talk about this in the abstract, but I think it is much more meaningful and real if we use an example. Okay, so what I want you to do, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are home by yourself and all of a sudden knocks on your door and you open the door and you see the most beautiful person you've ever seen in your life. Okay, supermodel, Hollywood starlet, whatever is the most attractive person you could imagine is standing on the other side of your door and the person said, hey, your spouse is away. I think we should have an affair. Okay, now here's my question. Why would I say no to that? Okay, or why should I say no to that? Right? Why would you turn that down, that offer of an affair, doing something you know would be wrong? What is the reason for choosing the right thing. Okay, here's number one. One reason we choose what's right is because we are following a command. Okay, in other words, I'm following the rules. I know what the Bible says. Okay, here in Hebrews chapter 13, he says very specifically, uh, the marriage bed should be kept pure. Right? Back in the big Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, so if I know my scripture, I know what the command is, God said not to, I want to follow God's commands. Now, is that a bad reason for avoiding adultery? Okay, not at all, right? In numerous places in scripture, God gives us specific commands, says if you want to be virtuous, here's the commands, here's the things you need to do. Okay, we should follow them. At the end of Hebrews here, he's giving us a list of several things, and these are commands, right? He says, show hospitality. Remember the prisoners. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid greed. Okay, these are commands. I don't think these things are optional. If we are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to learn how to follow his commands, right? One reason we do what's right is because we are following a command. Okay, but what's the problem with that? Okay, why is this insufficient in and of itself? Okay, I think if this is the only reason that I choose to do what's right, there are a couple of problems with this. Okay, in the first place, I think there's not a command for everything that you will encounter in your life. Okay, for instance, is it okay for me to hack into my neighbor's computer? Is there a command in Scripture that tells me not to? Then it must be okay, right? Okay. There are situations you will encounter in your life where you cannot point to a specific verse of the Bible and say, because God says not to or because God says to, that's going to dictate my behavior. Okay. You will run into stuff that Scripture doesn't explicitly talk about. Okay, in the second place, I think it's problematic if all we do is follow commands because that will not sustain you long term. Okay, you're not strong enough just to follow commands and live a virtuous life. 
Okay, when we get tired, when we get really tempted, when life gets tough, eventually just following commands will not be enough to keep you holy. Is that fair? Okay, I got a four-year-old who knows a lot of commands, right? Just knowing the commands isn't enough to keep us holy. All right, but there's more reasons why we can choose to do what's right. Number two, another reason we might choose what's right is because we understand the consequences of sin. Okay, for instance, what would happen to me okay, if I did take up the supermodel's offer and had an affair? Okay, what would happen? Okay, I would risk losing my marriage. Uh, I might risk losing my wife. I don't know how mad she might be at that, right? That was kind of a joke, right? I, I don't think she would kill me, but I don't want to find out. Uh, I would lose my career. I would lose respect. I would lose friends, okay? I would lose time with my kids, okay? If I had an affair, it would be incredibly costly. I guarantee you that nobody who's ever had their marriage experience infidelity walked away thinking, well, that was a great idea, 10 out of 10. I would do that again, okay? Anytime we sin, it is costly, and if we stopped long enough to think about the cost for all of our actions, I think we would be much more likely to choose what is right. Is that fair? Okay, our passage in chapter 12 talked about how Esau got some momentary pleasure out of eating that meal. Okay, I guarantee you that stew was really tasty when Esau was eating it, right? Okay, but it was extremely costly. He spent the rest of his life experiencing consequences. Okay, sometimes you and I choose what is right because we understand there's extreme consequences to choosing what's wrong. All right, number three. And this is related, uh, but it's just a little bit different. And that is we understand the benefits of doing what's right. Okay, even if there was a guarantee uh, that nobody would ever find out that I had an affair, I am still better off not doing it, Right? Okay, I am better off staying faithful because the best marriages, the most fulfilling relationships happen in the context of fidelity. Okay, in other words, if my ultimate goal is to have the absolute most wonderful best relationship possible, then the best way to get there is by having my one wife and being faithful to her for my entire life. Right? Better off long term to choose what is right. Yeah, and I think in most situations, if we take the long view, we recognize that doing what's right has a much better payday than the short-term gains of doing what is wrong. Okay, for instance, here in Hebrews 13, he says, remember those who are in prison, okay, which is a really culturally specific command. Okay, part of the reason you would do this is because a lot of times people ended up in prison because they were practicing their faith as Christians. Okay, and in their world, you didn't get taken care of when you were in prison by the state. They didn't provide enough food for you to eat or clothes for you to wear. If you went to prison and you wanted to survive, the only way you would live is if you had friends or family on the outside who would bring you supplies to keep you alive. Now, it is in your best interest as a Christian living in their world to provide for the people who are in prison. Why? Because it very likely could happen that in a few months or years from now, you're sitting in prison and you need someone to provide for you, right? Okay, so, it is in your best interest, it is to your great benefit to do what is right, 
Okay, and I think that's applicable across the board. If we truly understood the benefits of choosing to follow Jesus, we would never consider doing anything else because it is always to your benefit to choose what's right. Okay? Number four. Fourth reason we choose what's right, and that is that we are living for a higher ideal. Okay, it's one thing for me to say, you know what, I'm not going to commit adultery because I know there's a command that says thou shalt not. It's another thing for me to say, well, I don't want to commit adultery because I know it would be really painful if I did. I think when we get to number four, though, we realize something much deeper and more meaningful. And that is, I don't want to commit adultery because at the end of the day, I love my wife. Is that a better reason? I'm hoping that that the reason I don't commit adultery isn't just because there's a command. I'm hoping that our relationship is such that I choose to pursue fidelity for a deeper reason. I think a lot of times, if we are truly following Jesus, we choose what's right because I love my Lord. Okay, notice chapter 13 and verse 1. He says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Okay, that first verse of chapter 13 is the line that governs the rest of the passage. Okay, that is his thesis statement. Okay, everything else that follows in that next paragraph about virtue is him explaining to us, here's some of that, what that looks like. You want to know how to love your brother? Don't be greedy. You want to know how to love your sister? Visit her when she's in prison. You want to know how to truly love like Jesus loves? Do these things of virtue. All right, so in the Christian community, uh, you don't typically worry when you walk into church that I'm going to knock you down and steal your stuff, right? Is that a worry of anyone this morning when you walked in, okay, that I'm going to beat you up and steal from you? Now, is the reason that I don't do that to you, uh, one, because you might be able to take me and I don't want to risk it, uh, or no, is it really... The reason that I don't do that is because, well, I know it's wrong. I know God says thou shalt not steal, so I won't do that to you. Or is the reason that I don't knock you down and take your stuff is because I would never do that to you because I don't want to treat you that way. If the only thing keeping me from beating you up and stealing your stuff is a command, then we haven't gone very far in our relationship with each other. The reason I don't treat you that way is because I know I don't want to be treated that way, and I actually love you as brothers and sisters, right? We treat each other the right way because we are a loving family. Okay, I'm not following a rule. I'm not fearing punishment. We don't want to hurt each other. Okay, now, the reason that I think this principle is so important is because I think that this has the power to help you choose what's right even in situations where there is not a clear command. Okay, there's no command in Scripture that says, I can't hack into your computer. Okay, but if I really love you, Am I going to hack into your computer? No. Do I need a command to tell me not to? No. Why? Because we love each other as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. I think if we could get 13.1 right, we wouldn't need any commands at all in Scripture. In fact, that kind of sounds like what Jesus says somewhere, right? Where he says the greatest command, love the Lord your God, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we could just get that right, We really wouldn't need the rest of the book. Is that fair? All right. One last one and then we'll be done. 
This is what I think is the most important of all of these. And honestly, I think this is why Hebrews is doing what Hebrews is doing. I think the reason that this book is written the way it is written, the encouragement that he is trying to give to the church is he's trying to get to number five on our list. Okay, the reason we choose what is right is because we are surrounded by people choosing what's right. Okay? In other words, one of the reasons that I wouldn't take the offer of infidelity from the supermodel uh, is because I've been surrounded by people my entire life who that wasn't one of their choices. Okay? My dad was faithful for our entire life, uh, for his entire life with my mom. Okay? Almost all of our friends are faithful people. All of the people that I admire here at church are faithful people. Okay? When all of my examples, when all of my peer group is acting in a certain way, then I am highly likely to act that way too. Okay? And this works for anything. Okay? If you grow up in a household where people solve problems by yelling at each other, what are you going to do? Solve problems by yelling at each other, okay? If you're raised in a household where whenever there's a problem, we all have a big family meeting and have an hour-long discussion, what are you going to do when you get in your family? The same thing. If all your friends use certain kind of language, how are you going to talk? Okay? If all your friends do certain things, what are you going to do? Okay? Inevitably, we take on characteristics of the people that we hang around with. Okay? So the trick in this, obviously, is to surround yourself with the right people. Now, part of what's going on in the entire book of Hebrews is he is saying, you are surrounded by a world who doesn't know God like you do. If you want to stay faithful, then where does your allegiance need to be? To this small group of people who's living like you. You want to become a follower of Jesus? You don't do that on an island by yourself. You become a follower of Jesus by surrounding yourself with the Lord's people who are trying to be followers of Jesus too. You want to be holy? You want to put on virtue? Surround yourself with Christians. How do you live as a Christian when everything in your society is pushing you to abandon your faith and live against the principles of Jesus? You do it by being part of a loving family that is living for God together. Again, the entire message of this book of Hebrews is it is all about us doing this Jesus thing together. We are going somewhere. We are going to Zion. The only way we will get there is if we take this journey together and if we take our commitment to Jesus as the most foundational and the most serious thing that we can do with our lives. All right, at this time in our service, uh, we are going to have a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, we would love for this, during this song, uh, for you, if you have a need to come forward, talk to us. Uh, we'd love to pray with you or study scripture with you, whatever it is that we can do as the church to be here for you. And before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close with the blessing that is found at the end of Hebrews chapter 13. He says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, Equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing.